Well, good morning. As Joseph mentioned, my name is Dustin. I am a bit of a nerd, as I am a math teacher, and yes, I like numbers. So I promise I will not teach any geometry today. Unless you really want it, we could, we could go on and talk about it. No. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, I'm actually surprised I didn't get a phone call this morning uh, with Matt telling me to just not come up because I'm a Michigan fan. And uh, he's an Ohio fan. But uh, it's all good. He, he didn't. He, so I am here still. And, and like I said, uh, we're going to get to 2 Timothy chapter 3 here in a moment. We're actually going to look almost to the whole chapter as we go. So I'm not going to read the entire chapter right now, um, but we'll be talking about it through this morning. Um, but like I said, I'm a bit of a nerd. Yeah, I like math, because I'm a math teacher, but also I love Lord of the Rings, and I love fantasy stuff. It's wonderful. I mean, not to go too far, but Lord of the Rings did have a huge impact to me during my teenage years, so, and I'm still in love with it. Uh, so I hope you bear with me as I geek out a little bit, okay? Um, so if you're not familiar with Lord of the Rings, let me kind of give you a backstory of, of a part of it. Now, this is not the main story, but this is kind of a side character. Denethor was the steward of Gondor in the popular work by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. You may or may not be familiar with that, and that's okay. You should watch it or read it, whichever one. And without explaining the entire story to you, because it's incredibly long, let me summarize for you the context of that Denethor was living in. The steward of Gondor, Denethor, was ruler of his realm until the king of Gondor could return. There had been no king in his country for many, many, many years. Uh, and he started loving the power that he had in that, in that country. Neighboring his country of Gondor was the realm of Mordor. And Mordor was ruled by Sauron. And Sauron was the evil dark lord, basically the villain of the Lord of the Rings. Um, but Sauron was the evil dark lord, and he was rising to power again and striking fear across the lands of Middle-earth. It was a dark time where trolls and orcs were coming down and attacking men and dwarves and hobbits um, and threatening innocent people. At first, Denethor was a strong noble, wise man. And without going into too much detail about his fall, um, we can do that after the service if you really want, <laughs> um, he started letting the deceit of Sauron get to him. And uh, he looked at the state of the world, where it was at, and he start, started getting discouraged and scared and abusive and reckless. All the belief that he was doing what was right Gandalf, the wizard of the Lord of the Rings, it was a, and he was a wise counselor as well, went to Denethor to give him some advice, and Denethor pretty much rejected him. He told Denethor to accept the return of the king, whose name was Aragorn, the return of the king, and to let him take his rightful place to rule Gondor, but Denethor refused out of fear and love for his power. This fear and dangerous behavior by Denethor ended up in the long run hurting his loved ones and cost him his life. If Denethor had rejected the influence of the world he was in and heeded the advice of Gandalf, his life would have ended much better. Denethor was living in a rough time in Middle-earth. And it was a time where even the strongest people we're being deceived. Now, we don't live in Middle-earth, thank goodness. And we don't have to worry about orcs and goblins and trolls, but we do live in a deceitful time in our world. And let's go ahead and talk about that here for a moment, shall we? 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and it outlines what kind of world we are living in. For people will be lovers of their own selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Let's pray for a moment here. Lord, thank you so much for what you have for us. Thank you for your word and what, you, and what you've given us in direction. And thank you for your cross and your salvation. I pray that you please help me as I speak this morning uh, to speak your word with truth. And uh, Lord, thank you for what you've done. You name I pray. Amen. So Paul listed out characteristics of a world system, the system that all of us find ourselves in today. And then he continues to talk about, if you keep reading the how these type of people will sneak into the home and deceive the people in the home, and inadvertently, it'll get to the church as well and lead people away from Christ. Now, we read this list. Does this, do these characteristics look familiar to anyone today? <laughs> yes. If you don't notice, log on to Facebook for a second and read some posts, or maybe scroll through Instagram or TikTok, and you'll see these characteristics not only posted about, but praised. Like, they, they, people love these things almost. Hey, do what you want. Who cares what anybody else says? Who cares what your parents say? Disobey them. Follow your dreams. Follow your heart. If you don't agree with me, my viewpoint, you're going to be canceled. You're going to pay. With all this promotion of self-love, love of pleasure, and speak your truth, it seems the world has cultivated a society where you can only speak your truth if it's the truth that is the lies within the world's worldview. If it goes against what the world says, then it's coming after you, and it's coming after you hard. And we've seen that done to people. People have taken a stand with morality, a stand with biblical truth, and then they are ripped apart by the world system because our morality lies in stark contrast to the morality of the world. I say all this to start off for a specific reason. This world isn't going to get any better. And the further it gets from biblical morality, the harder it's going to be for us to fit in. Like Paul says in verse 1 of this chapter, this is going to be a time of difficulty. And the further down this world slides, the more support we are going to need from God and his people. So, how do we do that when we're faced with so much adversity? In a world that tempts us to move away from godly values, our passage here encourages us to keep believing the word we have learned. To keep believing the word we have learned. We're going to talk about three reasons we are to keep the word we have learned. The first one here is because draw of the world. The draw of the world. We just listed about 20 different characteristics of the world's system. And we can see they're even accepted and praised today in, our, in, in, in the world. Now, notice in this list, I'm not going to read it again, but you can look back. We don't see really too many of the big ticket items here. Murder. Thievery. We don't see those here. We see things like disobedient to parents, abusive. We could spend an entire sermon on each one of these characteristics and its effect on society and the church. But I don't think that's necessary right now. We see people every day give us advice on how we can love ourselves more. And while I believe it's important to have good self-worth, that self-worth is based on God's love for us, not my own love for me. We see people every day show off their greed with their love of money, showing what they have, um, boasting how much money they make. We see people praised today because of a tirade that went on against something that may have even been in Christianity. They're praised and lifted up, and they go on a tirade with seemingly no self-control. We see people all the time today not want to look to Jesus because they love their own pleasure and how they look. As you have found out, we live in a day where everybody has their own opinion. Everyone has a new thought or idea, and everyone has something to say even if it has nothing to do with them. 
And as we have seen too strongly in recent years, many of these ideas come in the form of criticism towards a specific idea or worldview. And, and, and I mean, hear me out for a second. Go to a comic book convention and shout that, that Star Wars is better than Star Trek and see what happens. <laughs> Buckle up. You're going to be faced with some harsh controversy. Man, some people are going to back you up. They're going to love you. And some people are going to be spewing hate words at you and telling, telling you how wrong you are. And they may even start bashing your sanity. How dare you think Luke is better than Kirk? Now, before you judge me and think that can't happen, you can even look for that yourself later today. Go to Facebook and scroll through these fan pages. People argue over their own genre and their own book. Star Wars fans arguing with Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans arguing with Star Trek fans. Sometimes pretty heated. Thinking people, uh, talking how people are crazy. You know, these people argue back and forth over their genre, but the types of entertainment isn't the only place where this behavior is seen. We see it all the time. Again, look in the same places you always can. People arguing over substantial things as well, things that do have an effect on society, things that do change the way our, our, our world goes, people arguing vehemently over those. We have Christian fighting against Christians sometimes, Family, fighting against family. Friend, fighting against friend. Church member, fighting against church member. And before you know it, the structure of unity in the body is shaken because, well, I'm right. And you're not. You see how the world has cultivated the society where it's easy to do this? That's the world today. I don't care about facts. I don't care about opinions. I'm right. And you're not. Now, there are topics worth fighting for. Don't get me wrong. There are. But we need to ask, how are we as Christians communicating our viewpoint? Are we teaching our opinions with love and compassion? Are we forcing our viewpoints on others with abusive behavior? The abusive behavior that the world has. This thought process of arrogance and pride, which many times inadvertently leads to reckless slander and abusiveness, has crept into the church. We cannot let this mindset, this world's mindset, ruin the unity of the body of Christ. And we cannot let this mindset fuel the world's hatred for the church based solely on how we speak to the world. When we go out and speak harshly to the world, no wonder they don't like us as much as... Uh, don't let that be the reason they hate us. We have to live above that. We have to live above that abusive behavior. And that's hard. It's so hard. Now, whenever there's conflict, I personally have two initial responses. The first one is I like to keep the peace. I love peace. It's refreshing. It's nice, quiet. When people are getting along, it's wonderful. Sometimes maybe I'll let a thing slip here or two. I won't say something that should be said because I want to keep the peace. And the other way is I fight back, and I fight back hard because my viewpoint is right. Well, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. This won't be an easy time. We have to expect conflict because we're living in a world that is full of conflict, especially against the church. And since we expect that conflict, we have time to prepare our hearts and minds for that conflict. Like I said, the state of the world has cultivated a twofold response towards uh, from Christians. Either we compromise with the world system, it seems, or we give into its values. No, I'm sorry, and we give into its values an effort to keep the peace. And I mean, we're accepted by the world. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if, if, if we're accepted by the world, then they'll like us more. And if they like us more, then more people will come to that door and we can preach them Jesus, right? That makes sense. But then we start compromising and overlooking things that we need to fundamentally stand against. But hey, we're accepted. 
And the other way, like I said, we take our sword and our shield, we hop onto our horse and charge into battle, ready to fatally attack anyone who says a word against our church or our Christ. We feel good about ourselves because we stood up for God, but we missed the bloody trail behind us. We forgot about what the word says in Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. We have to have a balanced approach in how to deal with conflict because the world is constantly trying to get us to conform to its viewpoint and its way of dealing with conflict. Standing up with boldness, but with love. And that type of requires thought and prayer and study, not initial knee-jerk reactions. If you've been in Christianity for any length of time, you've heard the phrase, live separated from the world, or live in contrast from the world, or be, be different from the world. And while that's important and that's true, I need us to step back for a second and look at our arguments. A lot of the times, we think we need to fight against the world, so we fight against everything in the world. But then we get ourselves in a bind because there are things in the world that are useful. We've already talked about acceptance, and while acceptance is important, chasing after it is wrong. But it's also good to have a positive, you know, your, your name to be well thought of. Because you set up in a correct way. I'm not saying you want a level of fame that, you know, your, your name is on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. When people walk by, they're like, oh. Or when you walk into a, a, a store, they want to take your picture with you. I'm not talking about that level of maybe fame or acceptance, but maybe the, name of the, the way of acceptance of, you know, when your name is thought of. Yeah, that's a good Christian. That person, they love God. And there's something different about that person. Acceptance is important, but chasing after it. Fighting over that upvote or that like consistently can be wrong. How about money? We've heard many sermons preached against money, but money's useful. I like to eat. I like food. I like going places. I like buying new things, probably more than I should. But money is useful. Maybe you want that next summer trip to Disney or that cruise that you've always wanted, or, or maybe tickets to a sports game, but money pays for food, shelter, missions, outreach, things that we need to do. But the difference is what is your desire for that money? That's where the fine line is. Are you chasing after that dollar? Are you, are you striving for it to make one buck more? It's good, but it can have its bad sides, and that's why it's so hard to get there. How about entertainment? Movies and TV shows that maybe pull us out of our busy lives for a second. Maybe they generally help us clear our minds. I work long hours during the week. So on Friday night, it's nice to sit back, turn on Lord of the Rings, and just kind of let my mind wander, relax, to prepare myself for the next week. But we need to be careful that we're not chasing that entertainment as that as our primary goal. That is our end means. We want that with all our being. We want that pleasure. We want that love. Entertainment, yes, it can be good, but there's a line that can't be crossed. And there's so many other things that lie in this area of being good, but can be bad when we chase after them. And it's so to see this gray line. And if you're looking for me for an answer of where this, where this fine line is, then you're going to be sorely disappointed because I don't always know. And it's different for everybody. And it's so hard to see that line because, well, our second thought here about the draw of the world is that the world is deceptive. It's so hard to find that line nowadays because we tend to react uh, to that line. We tend to accept or reject an attack. In the 1900s, humanity made great progress with innovation. With the quick rise of technology, humanity has been able to accomplish amazing things over the past century. One of the most amazing and lucrative industries is that of Hollywood. 
Movies and TV shows play a critical role in shaping our society. So much so that it seems the further Hollywood gets from biblical morality, the further the world gets from biblical morality. Well, early on in the days of Hollywood, Christians saw that deceitfulness of Hollywood. They saw where it could, what it could do and how it could influence, and how it could deceive the world. So they backed out completely. They started preaching strong sermons against Hollywood and barred their members from entering the door of a, of a movie theater. Yet with that mass exodus came a consequence. By fighting tooth and nail against the institution, they surrendered its rule solely to the world. And now the world's most influential institution is run by the world, and solely by the world. What could it look like today if instead of attacking strongly, we thought about it for a moment and found an approach that could maybe have had a beneficial in, uh, outcome? Now, I, I get it. Hindsight is 20, no, hindsight 20, 2020. It reveals a lot. Saw something wrong and addressed it, and I can't fault them for that, but now we have a society that's influenced by a world system, a system that is anti-God. What could it look like now if we tried to control the reins a little bit more? And now this, this system controls society and it consistently bashes Christianity, making light of God, light of Jesus. So it's easy to fall into either one of these traps because we're afraid of this deception, because we've seen it happen to ourselves. Maybe we've been deceived some. So we try to accept, but and why does it seem so easy to dip our toes into the world system? Like, you know, hey, it's fine. Well, because the world is deceptive. It's hard to believe that people would stand up and shout, yes, I'm heartless, yes, I'm cruel, yes, I am ruthless. Yes, I'm disobedient to parents. Yes, I'm unappeasable, I'm slanderous. But they do, and we are. They, and they speak so well. They are able to, able to deceive even the people in the church. And no, we aren't strong enough in and of ourselves to combat this deceit. But we could look right in this same chapter we are talking about and see the problem we're facing. Verse 13. It says, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to happen. And notice it says it's going to go from bad to worse, and it's not going to get better. And this is a problem, a problem that needs addressing, because as we've seen, it's affected the church. And so many people are now being faced with so much deception these days that we uh, need something other than ourselves to just hold on to, because we can't do this ourselves. And what could that be? Well, the reason, number one, we need to keep believing in the word we have learned is because of the state of the world, the deceit of the world. But reason number two is because of the certainty of the word. The certainty of the word. In our text, Paul writes in verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writing, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. Paul is stressing to Timothy that because this world's draw is so strong and the people in this world are so deceptive, keep believing in the words you have learned because of where you have learned it from. And Paul lists out two sources, two sources that Timothy learned the word from. The first source that Timothy heard the word from was from the saints that were in Timothy's life. From a young age, Timothy had been educated in the Old Testament. Timothy had a faithful heritage in his home that trained him in scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
1 says, in verse 5, it says this. Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. These two people, Lois and Eunice, had an amazing influence on Timothy's life. Timothy was a fortunate one. Not very many people have the privilege of having godly parents in their lives to raise them to serve the Lord. Timothy did from a young age. He was so fortunate. Young people here, I'm going to talk to you for a second. You are privileged to have parents who love you enough to bring you to church and teach you about the Bible and about Jesus. A lot of people don't have that. A lot of people don't have parents that love them enough to bring them here or to church and to teach them the love of Christ. Listen to them. Learn from them. Trust them. They love you. Now, parents, I applaud you for taking step in training your kids in the Word of God. Let the only time your kids hear about God and the church be in church. Read the Bible with them at home. Pray with them at home. Teach them the proper way to live at home. Have the difficult discussions with them about the world and its system and its deceit at home. So when your kids are faced with those issues, with the hard choices, with the hard decisions, they know what to do. They have knowledge. Teach the word to them. Teach them why we believe it. Teach them how to defend it so that when they are faced with the hard questions, they know how to answer. Now, Eunice and Lois was not the only person in Timothy's life that had a major influence. Can anyone else think of someone else who had an influence in Timothy's life? He wrote the book. Paul. Paul. Paul had a huge influence for Timothy. I mean, Paul took Timothy on missionary journeys. He taught Timothy how to live in a pagan world outside from the roof of his parents. Paul wrote letters to Timothy to encourage him and to teach him. That is so important. Now, young people, as you get older and leave the safety net that is your parents, find a mentor that can teach you and train you and keep you accountable. Find someone who can train you personally. When you're away from home, when you graduate from high school and move away, I moved five hours away from home. Then after I graduated from college, I moved 13 hours away from home, quite far away. When you move away from home, find someone that can train you in righteousness. Someone that can help you, teach you how to live in a world that is secular, live in a world that, is contra- that lives contrary to biblical values. Find someone older that you can befriend and train you in the word of God. It seems today we have a society in the church and outside the church where we have these generational lines and we cut it down the middle, or we've cut down those and then we don't intertwine. You know, baby boomers and the Gen Z, they'll fight, and then the millennials and Gen X will fight, and then every one of these people will fight and talk bad about each other. That shouldn't be in the church. shouldn't be. We should all be fellowshipping together, one with another, building each other up, because we need that. There's so much fighting out in the world. (laughs) There's so much hatred on the world. There's so much hate spewed at us in the world. We need to work together. So well-seasoned Christians, I'm not going to say old Christians, but well-seasoned Christians, find a younger person to mentor. Break that generational line. Someone who may be alone here. Someone who needs some guidance. Take a personal role in their life. Show them how to live in a pagan world. Educate them in the deeper things in scriptures. Send them texts or emails when you read something that encourages you. Keep them accountable. When you feel they are hurt or discouraged, take them to Starbucks or Dunkin' or somewhere. Sit down with them and just chat and talk about life. Do a book study with them. Read the Bible with with them. Have an active role. Just like Paul did with Timothy. Now I want to be careful here. Because I know the dangers of trusting 
anyone who says they have the answer. Many Christians, maybe some of you, I know I did at one point, were sweet-talked into some sort of wrong religion or well-meaning Christian denomination based on twisted scripture, and then we opened the Bible and realized, oh no, something doesn't line up here. I've personally heard from the pulpit preached, trust the preacher, no matter what he says. It doesn't matter. He's right, because he's the man of God. He's closer to God than you. Normally that came from the preacher, by the way. But we've heard that ingrained in our minds. Now I love Matt, and I love Joseph, and I love Chuck, and they've all had an active role in my life giving me counsel when I've needed it for different areas. And I know they wouldn't mind me saying this. We must only follow and listen to our mentors and, our, and people in our lives when their advice and counsel lines up with what the Bible says and with biblical principles, which they're very faithful in doing. <laughs> and I want to make something very clear here. God has put people in your life that you need to look to for guidance and counsel but their advice should only be heeded when they are following, if, they are, if they are following what God says, not their own personal opinions or thoughts. And how do we know if they're following what God says? Trusting someone's word can be dangerous. That's why it's critical that we contrast what is told us, what they are saying, with the scriptures themselves. God did not leave us lost in the world to only trust people who claim to have a higher knowledge of the Bible. While their thoughts should be noted, and over the course of time, God has provided full access to his word to anyone that would pick it up and check it out. That leads us to the second source that Paul heard the word from. He not only heard it from, from the saints in his life, but he heard it from the word itself. But this just isn't any word. This word is perfect. This word in verse uh, 16 says, breathed out by God. Now, what does that mean? Because my imagination pictures God picking up this world and then breathing into it and a bound book falls into our laps. And we're like, hey, we got all the answers. That's not how it was done. Well, that would have been cool. That's not how it was done. Check this out in 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Keep your finger in Timothy chapter 3. But Second Peter chapter 1 has an amazing passage starting with verse 16. And we don't have nearly enough time to talk about this entire thing. But there's some neat things in here. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 16 says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is writing here, by the way but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. <clears throat> Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter was saying here, we did not make this up. We didn't write down myths or legends. We saw these things. A lot of people saw and heard these things. In other places, they challenge people. Hey, fact check us. Tell us if we're wrong here. He says, none of these things came from ourselves. But look at this, that line here that says this. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God worked in a very supernatural way to move his mouthpieces as they were speaking. God put the words in their hearts as they sat down and penned the words. When Paul says God breathed, it was the Spirit of God moving in his hearts and the writer's hearts as they penned the words. So God's words were being written down. God gave the men the words to help us in every area of our life. 
and not for every area of our Christian life, but the most important area. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 15, it says, And from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word of God has the power to reveal to you the gospel. In it are the words of life that God has sent that can show you your need of a Savior. Friend, if you're here today, wondering what in the world we are doing here. We just got up here and sang some songs, and then we were listening to a guy preaching for 40-ish minutes about things that maybe you've never heard of before. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We all have sin in our hearts. I mentioned a couple of my faults earlier. And without the Savior, we would be lost forever. Unable to make peace with God because of our sin. But God provided a way of salvation. And that is through the faith in his Son. The belief that Jesus died and rose again for your sin and conquering death to give you new life. If you want to know more, more about this, please come talk to us after the service. We'd be glad to show you in the word where it is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we have discussed the deceitfulness of the world, and we have discussed the certainty of the word and where it was from and where we've heard it from. But let's now look at the result of the word. Why should we keep on believing the word we have learned? Verses 16 through 17 finishes out the thought Paul was writing. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This God-breathed word was given to us as a tool a tool that not only makes us wise for salvation, but helps complete us in every area of our Christian life. Check out this list again. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that we might be complete and equipped. In the face of the adversity of the world, God's word is the perfect weapon to prepare us for battle. Now let's look at what the word's going to do for us briefly. I promise I won't be too much longer. The Bible is profitable for teaching. God's word is the supreme and final source and standard for truth for a Christian. Where do we go nowadays when we have a question? Google, right? The internet. We think, man, how do we do this? So go to Google and type it in. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form a mechanic. I'm one of those guys that when the car breaks down on the side of the road, I walk out like a macho man and pop the hood and look in there and have no idea what I'm looking at. I see metal and I see plastic. Maybe that hot metal melted to the plastic. That's what's wrong. I have no idea. So when I have a question about maybe what's wrong with my car, I go to the internet. And when some minor repairs needed, I went to YouTube. Searched up, how do I replace a windshield wiper and a cabin air filter? And I did it. They're fixed, without, almost without incident. I broke one windshield wiper. That's another story. Um, but it has answers for us there when we need something. Now, the Bible teaches us larger things than how to change a windshield wiper. It conveys to us wisdom. God's wisdom concerning the great questions of human existence is there a God? What is he like? How can we know him? Who are we? Why are we even here? Why is there death and suffering? What lies beyond the grave? What does the future hold? How do I know right from wrong? Questions so deep and important for us to ponder. And the word of God is the perfect tool to teach us those things. 
And since the Bible is profitable for teaching, it implies, of course, that it's necessary for us to study it. It's not the first time we've brought that up tonight. This job isn't directed just at pastors or theologians. It's directed at everyone. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We are very fortunate today. We write on the backs of some amazing men and women who have penned phenomenal works for us to get to know the word of God better and more clear. People like Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, Sproul, along with many others, study their whole lives to make the word of God more understandable to us. There are countless books, articles, videos on the Bible that can teach you really whatever you want to know. But you know as well as I do that you can't always trust what you read and watch. And many times you pick up two books and they say two totally different things. That's why it's so important that we contrast what we learn in these books and podcasts with what the Bible says, because the Bible is the original source. It's profitable for teaching. It's also profitable for reproof, which is, yeah, what's reproof? (laughs) We don't use that word too often today. Reproof means to convince or expose. When you read the word of God, it has an amazing talent of making you feel bad for things that you do do or you don't do, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people kind of shy away from spending a lot of time in the Word because we like to feel good about ourselves, right? We can't be that bad. I mean, we come to church on Sundays. We read the Bible sometimes. We pray before meals. We can't be that bad. I have three kids, and the most deceptive out of all of them has to be my youngest, Sophia. And you wouldn't think that looking at her. She has the big eyes, and she has this cute little voice, and these little curls in her hair, and she acts all sweet and giggly all the time. But don't be fooled, please, if you have her in children's church. Don't be. She's deceptive, and she loves sugar. Whether it's 6.30 in the morning, yes, or 8 o'clock at night, Daddy, I want a snack. No, I don't want something good. I don't want carrots. I want a brownie. And, and, and she does whatever she can to get those little pleasures. Well, one day, I walk into the kitchen and I see on her face this white powder. She had gotten into the powdered sugar. And that is delicious. Don't get me wrong. But it was before dinner and we don't want her digging her hands because powdered sugar gets everywhere. Well, she had it all over her face and all over her clothes. And I looked at her and I said, Sophia, Have you been in the sugar? No. Sophia, let me ask you again. Have you been in the sugar? No, I haven't, Daddy. Let's go look in the mirror for a second. We take her and show the mirror, and she's like, oh. And you know what kids do when they get in trouble? They just be quiet. Sophia, have you been in the sugar? Then we cleaned her up. The Word of God does that exact same thing to us. We tend to ignore our faults and our failures and what we've done wrong until we look into the mirror that is the Word of God. And it reveals to us some things that maybe we didn't want to see, things that we knew were there but didn't want to admit. Now, we can just look in the mirror of the Word and we can just wallow in our self-pity I'm so bad. I can't believe I did that again. Or we can keep reading and let the word of God transform us. Not only does the scripture show us where we fall short, it lays out the correction that we need, the way to be right with God. It's like a chisel to a rock that an artist uses. It cuts off the imperfections, but helps create something beautiful. A life sanctified to God. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't just leave us in our sin. Our relationship with him is renewed 
God lays out that plan for us in his word, a plan to get back on track when we are deceived by the world. Have you ever tried to take a shortcut and then realized maybe that wasn't a shortcut? When I lived in Michigan, I tried to get down to Indiana and I ended up at the border to Canada once because I thought I knew better. And you used to have to stop gas station or a convenience store or something to ask for directions. I remember my mamma yelling at my papa in the car as we're, as we're in there, stop and ask for directions. No, because a man doesn't ask for directions. It hurts our pride, doesn't it? Luckily, we now have Siri. We can say, hey Siri, direction is home. And it can lead us back and our pride's intact a little bit more. The word of God does not just leave us lost. It does not just leave us in our rebuked state. It gives us direction on how to turn back to the road and get on track to where we're supposed to be. Then, once we're back on track, once we're renewed, once we're on the right road, his word is profitable to train us in righteousness. And that word train here means to correct us and direct us after we have made a poor choice in order to keep us on the correct path. It sets up, it sets up guardrails. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how you don't go off on that shortcut again. This is how you stay in the, in, in the lines. God doesn't want us to fall into the same ditch over and over again like we do all the time like a never-ending cycle of failure in the same area. Once we're back on track, he, he lays out in the word those guardrails, and we need to read and refresh ourselves in the word to keep those guardrails secure so we don't go off on track again. And then once we're back on track, after all this, we will be complete. One writer says this, Since God made you for his purpose, only his word not this world's wisdom, this world's deceit is able to fit you for that purpose. The Bible will enable you to form a Christian worldview so that you think and respond to all of life as God intends. There is no such thing as a mature man or woman of God apart from being strong in the word of God. And the only way to stay on those lines is to continually read the word of God and be strong in the word of God. Now, complete here does not mean perfection. This word can also mean fresh or fitted. We are fitted for God's service. We are the perfect fit for what God wants of us. We are complete, not sinless, fitted for his work. And we will not only be complete, but we will be, uh, we will be equipped for every good work. We just spent a lot of time talking about the state of the world and the deceit of the world and how we sometimes pray to that deceit. And we talked about how important it is, it is for us to read the word because what that word is going to do, equip you on how to act in this deceitful world. How should I respond? Where should I stand? What should I say? The word of God will equip you for those good works. Christians are the ones who are supposed to shine the light of Christ in this world. The word of God is perfect to prepare us for acting in this world in order to shine bright. Now, we can have our own, op own opinions and our own feelings, but the word of God will never steer us wrong. This word is a, world is a dark, dark place, one that it's so easy to fall prey to. But this world is not our home. We are strangers and sojourners here. And we just don't fit into the system. But we are not wandering through this world directionless. We have a map. Back to Lord of the Rings. Gandalf pressured Denethor into accepting the return of the king, whose name was Aragorn. Denethor rejected it. And in a letter that Gandalf wrote 
to Frodo, a hobbit, the main character of the story. He said this about Aragorn. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all who wander are lost. Some things in this world seem good, true, and meant to be. But they may not end up having the luster that we wish. They look shiny. They look great. We associate gold with shine and riches and beauty, but sometimes we get lost into thinking that it's something good for us, when in reality it's not. It may be shiny. The world may look good, but it certainly doesn't glitter. Much like this world, it may look glamorous and shiny, but in reality the end is empty and worthless. And not all who wander are lost. Not everyone who seems to be wandering somewhere is lost where they're at. We're sojourners. We're travelers. We wander in this world, but we are not directionless. We have a GPS. We have a map. Keep believing in the word you have learned. We have the word of God to direct us, and while there will be times of difficulty, we have a light shining through for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you you so much for giving us a tool to direct us in such a harsh environment, one that is completely contrast to you. I pray that you please help us to stay faithful in staying in your word and reading it, meditating in it, and pondering it. I thank you for your cross and your sacrifice for our sins. In your name I pray. Amen.